Hey everybody, thanks so much for listening to this podcast. I hope it's really helping you grow in the Lord. But I just wanted to take a second just to talk about this great tool that I've been using to bring the Word of God to people. Anchor is a tool that allows you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. And when hosting on Anchor, you can distribute your podcast to listening platforms like Spotify and Apple Podcasts and a lot more. So it's really been helping me reach people that I can't go to their house and actually teach them a Bible study. So it's everything you need in the podcast in one place. The best of all, Anchor, and it's totally free. So download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Welcome to the Word Bible Study with Pastor Dan. I'm excited as always to be going through God's Word with you great people listening. And today we're going to be discussing the choice between life and death. We were all created with free will. And with that comes the ability to choose. And after we ate the apple in the Garden of Eden, we all have the knowledge of good and evil inside of us. So let's turn to Deuteronomy 30 and we're going to read about our choices. In Deuteronomy 30, this is like one of the last places where Moses speaks right before he dies and he's given instruction to them. So I'm going to start in verse 11. This command I am giving you today is not too difficult for you to understand. It is not beyond your reach. It is not kept in heaven so distant that you must ask, Who will go up into heaven and bring it down so we can hear it and obey? It is not kept beyond the sea so far away that you must ask, Who will cross the sea and bring it to us so we can hear it and obey? No, the message is very close at hand. It is at your lips and it is in your heart so that you can obey it. So that's pretty powerful. Moses is saying the commands that God gives us are not hard and they're not something that's going to be difficult for us. Now continuing in verse 15. Now listen, today I'm giving you a choice between life and death, between prosperity and disaster. For I command you this day to love the Lord your God and to keep his commands, decrees and regulations by walking in his ways. If you do this, you will live and multiply, and the Lord your God will bless you and the land that you're about to enter and occupy. But if your heart turns away and you refuse to listen, and if you are drawn away to serve and worship other gods, then I warn you now that you will certainly be destroyed. You will not live a long good life in the land you are crossing the Jordan to occupy. So, if we live the way God tells us to, we're going to prosper and we're going to have a good life. And if we don't, we're not going to. So this isn't even really talking about salvation so much as it's talking about your everyday life. So I'm going to continue in 19. Today I have given you the choice between life and death, between blessings and curses. Now I call on heaven and earth to witness the choice you make. Oh, that you would choose life so that you and your descendants might live. You can make the choice by loving the Lord your God, obeying Him, and committing yourself firmly to Him. This is the key to your life. And if you love and obey the Lord, you will live long in the land the Lord swore 
to give to your ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So that's the promise that God gave us through the covenant with Moses. And of course, Jesus fulfills that in the New Testament. But he didn't do away with the law. He said he fulfills the law. So he didn't come so that now we don't have to live by the law. We can just do whatever we want. No, he fulfills it and gives us the ability to live life the way God commands us to and to have these blessings. But let's go to Matthew 11 and verse 27 because then Jesus said, Come unto me all you who are weary and heavy burdens and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I am humble and gentle of heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden I give you is light. So it's not something that's going to be hard. It's just something that we have to commit to doing. Now let's go to Luke chapter 3 and let's see what John the Baptist has to say about how we should live. Starting in verse 3, Then John went from place to place on both sides of the Jordan River, preaching that people should be baptized to show that they had repented of their sins and turned to God for forgiveness. Isaiah had spoken about John the Baptist when he said, He is a voice shouting in the wilderness, Prepare the way for the Lord's coming. Clear the road for him. The valleys will be filled. The mountain and the hills made level. The curves will be straightened. The rough places will be smooth. And then all people will see the salvation sent from God. When the crowds came to John the Baptist, he said, You brood of snakes, who warned you to flee God's coming wrath? Prove by the way that you live that you have repented of your sins and turned to God. Don't just say to each other, we're safe, for we are descendants of Abraham. That means nothing. For I tell you, God can create children of Abraham from these very stones. And even now, the axe of God's judgment is poised, ready to sever the roots of the trees. Yes, every tree that does not produce good fruit will be chopped down and thrown into the fire. The crowds ask, what should we do? So here we go. John's about to tell us what we should do to show that we live repented lives. He replied, if you have two shirts, give one to the poor. If you have food, share it with those who are hungry. Even corrupt tax collectors came to be baptized and asked, teacher, what should we do? And he replied, collect no more taxes than the government requires. What should we do? Asked some soldiers. John replied, don't extort money and make false accusations and be content with your pay. So now that's what John the Baptist is telling them, like, be a good person. Like, live for God, make God happy, and be a good person. But he continues. Now everyone was expecting the Messiah to come soon, and they were eager to know whether John might be the Messiah. And John answered their questions by saying, I baptize you with water, but someone is coming soon who is greater than I am, so much greater that I'm not even worthy to be his slave and untie the straps of his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. He is ready to separate the chaff from the wheat with his winnowing fork, and he will clean up the threshing area, gathering the wheat into the barn and burning the chaff with never-ending fire. And John used many such warnings as he announced the good news to the people. So here we go. John's telling us, like, we've got to get our lives in order, and we've got to live the way we should. 
And John taught to them repentance, which was to turn away from living like the world and obey God's commands. Live the way God wants us to. But he's telling us someone's coming who's greater, who's going to fill you with the Holy Ghost, which is going to lead us in our life from then on. Now I'm going to turn to Matthew chapter 9, starting at verse 1. Jesus climbed into a boat and went back across the lake to his own town. Some people brought him a paralyzed man on a mat. Seeing their faith, Jesus said to the paralyzed man, Be encouraged, my child. Your sins are forgiven. But some of the teachers of religious law said to themselves, That's blasphemy. Does he think he's God? So here's Jesus saying, I forgive your sins. This is before he died on the cross. And they're all confused, like, what is going on here? And Jesus knew what they were thinking, so he asked them, why do you have such evil thoughts in your heart? Is it easier to say your sins are forgiven or stand up and walk? So to prove to you that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, then Jesus turned to the paralyzed man and said, Stand up, pick up your mat, and go home. And the man jumped up and went home. Fear swept through the crowd as they saw this happen, and they praised God for sending a man with such great authority. So Jesus cares as much about getting sin out of your life as he does about healing your body. And we can see there's a connection here. When we have sin in our life, it causes death. And Jesus wants to heal us and save us by getting rid of both. So let's turn to John chapter 5, starting in verse 1. Afterwards, Jesus returned to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish holy days. Inside the city, near the Sheep Gate, was the pool of Bethsaida with five covered porches. The crowds of sick people, blind, lame, or paralyzed, lay on the porches. One of the men laying there had been sick for 38 years. And when Jesus saw him, he knew he had been ill for a long time, and he asked him, Would you like to get well? I can't, sir, the poor man said, for I have no one to put me into the pool when the water bubbles up. Someone else always gets there ahead of me. And then Jesus told him, Stand up, pick up your mat, and walk. And instantly the man was healed, and he rolled up his sleeping mat and began walking. But this miracle happened on the Sabbath, so some of the Jewish leaders objected. They said to the man who was cured, You can't work on the Sabbath. The law doesn't allow you to carry that sleeping mat. But he replied to them, The man who healed me told me, Pick up your mat and walk. Who said such a thing as that, they demanded. And the man didn't know, for Jesus had disappeared into the crowd. But afterwards, Jesus found him in the temple and told him, Now you are well, so stop sinning, or something even worse will happen to you. Then the man went and told the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus who had healed him. So here Jesus is telling the man, Stop sinning, or something worse will happen to you in life. You have the power to choose between life and death. So you're choosing sin, which is causing death, because the wages of sin is death. Now let's turn to John 8, just a couple of pages ahead here. Starting in verse 1 again, Jesus returned to the Mount of Olives, but early the next morning he was back at the temple, and a crowd soon gathered and he sat down and taught them. 
As he was speaking, the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery, and they put her in front of the crowd. Teacher, they said to Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of adultery, and the law of Moses says to stone her. What do you say? They were trying to trap him into saying something that they could use against him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote in the dust with his finger. And they kept demanding an answer. So he stood up again and said, All right, but let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. Then he stooped down again and wrote in the dust. Then the accusers heard this. They slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest, until only Jesus was left in the middle of of the crowd with the woman. Then Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, Where are your accusers? Don't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, Neither do I. Go and sin no more. Now, if Jesus tells her to go and sin no more, he's not going to tell you to do something that you can't do. So, Jesus knows that we have the choice between sinning and not sinning. And if anything, he empowers her here and blesses her in a way that makes her love God and makes her understand God's compassion for her, which is going to make her go on to not sin. And of course, if you read through the Bible, she continues to follow Jesus and worship him throughout the rest of the Bible. So we know that she didn't go on to sin. She believed God. She trusted in Jesus, and she stopped sinning and chose life over death. The Bible tells us that Jesus is life. Now, let's go to Matthew 22, starting in verse 34. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees with his reply, they met together to question him again. And one of them, an expert in religious law, tried to trap him with this question. Teacher, which is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? So here they are. They're kind of asking him about sin and about keeping the law. And they're like, what's the greatest commandment and sin to stay away from? And Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. A second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself for the entire law and all of the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments so there's jesus taking it right back to (laughs) i make it easy and (laughs) my yoke is light because he says here all we have to worry about is loving god with all your heart with all your soul with all your mind and loving your neighbor as yourself and you're gonna be you're going to be obeying all of the commandments. And this is true. Why You can't lie if you love the person you're talking to. You know, If you love God, you're not going to worship other gods. And if you love God, you're not going to commit adultery. And if you love your neighbor and you love your wife, you're not going to... You know. So the Bible goes on to show us that through loving is the way that we can achieve what God's talking about. So let's go to Galatians 5. Starting at verse 14, it's going to re-emphasize what Jesus says here. For the whole law can be summed up in this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. But if you are always biting and devouring one another, watch out, beware of destroying one another. 
So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. So now, if we're filled with the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit should be guiding our lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other. So you are not free to carry out your own good intentions. But when you are directed by the Spirit, you are not under obligation of the law of Moses. But when you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outburst of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Those are the sins. There's a pretty good list there for anybody who's having trouble understanding what sin is. So let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. But God can empower us. So let's keep reading here. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And there is no law against these things. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. Hallelujah. So yes, we have nailed our sinful desires to the cross when we were baptized with them. Thank God. Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. Let us not become conceited or provoke one another or be jealous of one another. Dear brothers and sisters, if, if another believer is overcome by sin, you who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path. And be careful not to fall into the same temptation yourself. Share each other's burdens and in this way obey the law of Christ. If you think you are too important to help someone, you are only fooling yourself. You are not that important. So when somebody sins, yeah, we're supposed to gently and carefully help them back. Not by treating them like they're a terrible human being and that God can never save them again. God stopped loving them. But we're supposed to gently correct them and say, hey man, come on now. Let's, let's love God and let's live in the freedom of not having to sin. But living a life of love. So let's turn to Ephesians 4. I'm going to begin in verse 17. With the Lord's authority I say this, Live no longer as the Gentiles do, for they are hopelessly confused. Their minds are full of darkness. They wander far from the life that God gives, because they have closed their minds and hardened their hearts against Him. They have no sense of shame. They live for lustful pleasures and eagerly practice every kind of impurity. But that isn't what you've learned about Christ. Since you've heard about Jesus, you have learned the truth that comes from him. Throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. 
put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. That's pretty powerful there that it says to let the Holy Spirit renew our thoughts. If we can control our thought process, it can control what we do and how we do things. So stop telling lies and let us tell our neighbors the truth. For we are all parts of the same body and don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you are still angry. For anger gives a foothold to the devil. And if you are a thief, quit stealing. Instead, use your hands for good hard work and then give generously to others in need. So we shouldn't just work enough to fulfill our lives, but we should have more than enough to where we can help people who are in need. Don't use foul and abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. And do not bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way you live. Remember, He has identified you as His own, guaranteeing that you will be saved on the day of redemption. Thank God for His Holy Spirit being a guarantee, huh? Continuing verse 31, Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. Instead, be kind to each other, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God, through Christ, has forgiven you. Now I'm going to keep going in chapter 5 a little bit. Imitate God, therefore, in everything you do, because you are His dear children. Live a life filled with love. Remember the example of Christ. He loved us and offered Himself as a sacrifice for us, a pleasing aroma to God. Let there be no sexual immorality, impurity, or greed among you. Such sins have no place among God's people. Obscene stories, foolish talk, and coarse jokes, these are not for you. Instead, let there be thankfulness to God. You can be sure that no immoral, impure, or greedy person will inherit the kingdom of Christ and of God. For a greedy person is an idolater, worshiping the things of this world. Don't be fooled by those who try to excuse these sins, for the anger of God will fall on all who disobey Him. Don't participate in the things that these people do. For once you were full of darkness, but now you have light from the Lord. So live as people of light. For the light within you produces only what is good and right and true. Carefully determine what pleases the Lord. Take no part in the worthless deeds of evil and darkness. Instead, expose them. Expose them. Wow. It is shameful even to talk about the things that ungodly people do in secret. But the evil intentions will be exposed when the light shines on them. For the light makes everything visible. That is why I said, Awake, O sleeper, rise up from the dead, and Christ will give you light. So be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but live like those who are wise. Wow, since that talks so much about the light and the love of God, it reminded me of a story with a man named Nicodemus. So let's go to John 
chapter 3 and let's read a little bit about what Jesus has to say about the light and the love of God. So there was a man named Nicodemus, a Jewish religious leader who was a Pharisee. After dark one evening, he came to speak with Jesus. Rabbi, he said, we all know that God has sent you to teach us. Your miraculous signs are evidence that God is with you. And Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. Unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. What do you mean? exclaimed Nicodemus. How can an old man go back into his mother's womb and be born again? Now sometimes that's how some of us feel when we hear about repentance and living a new life and being born again. It doesn't make sense. How can I go back into my mother's womb and be born again in a way that doesn't sin and doesn't live for the world? But Jesus replied, I assure you, no one can enter into the kingdom of heaven without being born of water and spirit. So he's speaking about baptism and being filled with the Holy Ghost. Humans can reproduce only human life, but the spirit gives birth to spiritual life. So don't be surprised when I say you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it wants, just as you can hear the wind, but you can't tell where it comes from or where it is going. So you can't explain how people are born of the Spirit. How are these things possible? Nicodemus asked. And Jesus replied, You are a respected Jewish teacher, and yet you don't understand these things. I assure you, we tell you what we know and what we have seen, and yet you won't believe our testimony. But if you don't believe me when I tell you about earthly things, how can you possibly believe me when I tell you about heavenly things? No one has ever gone to heaven and return but the son of man has come down from heaven and as Moses lifted up the bronze snake on a pole in the wilderness so the son of man must be lifted up so that everyone who believes in him will have eternal life for God loved the world so much that he gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life God sent his son into the world not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. There is no judgment against anyone who believes in him. But anyone who does not believe in him has already been judged for not believing in God's one and only son. And the judgment is based on this fact. God's light came into the world, but people loved the darkness more than the light. And their actions were evil. All who do evil hate the light and refuse to go near it, for fear their sins will be exposed. But those who do right come to the light so others can see that what they are doing is what God wants. So if we live in the light, we won't sin. But people who sin don't like the light. Now let's turn to Colossians chapter 3. Starting in verse 1. Since you have been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven, where Christ sits in a place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. For you died to this life, and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the whole world, you will share in all his glory. So put to death the sinful 
earthly things lurking within you have nothing to do with sexual immorality. Hold on. It says put to death those things. To be dead to sin. When someone says, hey, you want to go drinking? No, I'm dead to it. When the devil tempts you, hey, you should do this. No, I'm dead to it. I've crucified that side of me to the cross. And I'm no longer obligated to sin. So have nothing to do with sexual immorality, impurity, lust, and evil desires. Don't be greedy. For a greedy person is an idolater worshiping the things of the world. Because of these sins, the anger of God is coming. You used to do these things when your life was still a part of this world. But now is the time for you to get rid of anger, rage, malicious behavior, slander, and dirty language. Don't lie to each other, for you have stripped off your old sinful nature and all its wicked deeds. Put on your new nature and be renewed as you learn to know the Creator and become like Him. Wow. In this new life, it doesn't matter if you are a Jew or Gentile, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbaric, uncivilized, slave or free. Christ is all that matters and He lives in all of us. Wow. If we really get our attention off of the things of this world, we realize that Christ is all that matters so continuing in verse 12 since God chose you to be the holy people he loves you must clothe yourself in tender-hearted mercy kindness humility gentleness and patience make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you remember the Lord forgave you so you must forgive others above all clothe yourself with the love which binds us all together in perfect harmony. And let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your heart. For as members of one body, you are called to live in peace and always be thankful. I just want to point out real quick here. It said that since God chose you to be his holy people, who he loves. I was thinking about it the other day. We, we have a rescue dog. Which I, if you know anything about me, I've not really been a dog person in my life. But my kids have making me fall in love with animals. So <laughs> my kids were begging for a dog. So we rescued a dog, and thank God we've got a we got a really good dog. She listens good. She's the perfect dog to make me actually start caring about dogs. But when I read this just now, the Holy Ghost spoke to me and said, my dog didn't come in my house and just lay on my floor and say, all right, this is mine now. And I feel like we as human beings have this mindset that we choose God and that we make the decision in our life every day to do what's right and choose God. And my whole thing here is about the choice in life. And we do choose between doing right and doing wrong. But we should never lose sight of the fact that it was God that adopted us as children. The fact that he has put something in your heart that makes you want to live for him shows that he has chosen you. Now he's asking and wants to see our response in the fact that we will choose him 
in return by obeying his laws and living a good life. Just like I expect my dog to accept my rules and not pee in my house, you know, not chew up my stuff. That's what God expects out of us. But at no point do we stop being his. Like even when my dog does something bad, I'm going to punish him. I'm going to correct him. But that dog belongs to me. And nothing's going to stop me from caring about that dog because I chose that dog before that dog decided to live the way I'm teaching it. And that's something that's really powerful that hit me about God. Like God showed his love by choosing us before we ever made one choice for him. He decided to love us and care about us when we still wanted to do bad and didn't want to live right and didn't even care about God. So I think once we understand how much God loves us, it shows us that we should live a life that will make him happy. When I realize how much God cares for me and how much he protects me and how much he saved me from in my life, it makes me really want to obey his commandments because I see that he's a loving God and everything that he's telling me not to do is for my own good. It's for my own benefit. When I tell my son things and I tell him, you know, you shouldn't shouldn't have a bad attitude. Hey, don't talk to people like that. It's not because I'm just trying to prove to him that I'm his, his powerful dad and I'm over top of him. It's because I literally love my son with my whole heart. And I want him to be a good person. I want him to be successful in his life. And I know if I let him be greedy, he's not going to be successful. If I let him lie, he's not going to be successful. If I let him become a drunkard, it's not going to help him in his life. He's going to be broke, he's going to be miserable, and he's going to have pain in his life. So as a loving father, I correct him and I try to keep him on a path that will give him the best, most productive life that he can have. And that's the same thing that God does for us in our lives. That's why he fills us with the Holy Spirit so we can walk hand in hand with him and he can make sure that we end up regretting in our life. Because even though he's a big God and he can heal us, we're still going to have to go through the things that we've chose to go through by the decisions that we've made in our life. Let's go to Psalms 136. I think this shows how great God's love is and how good he is to us. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His faithful love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of gods. His faithful love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord of lords, for his faithful love endures forever. His love never fails. It's never going to stop. It endures forever. Even when we're being wrong and we're doing bad, God's love never fails. So continue in verse 4. Give thanks to him who alone does mighty miracles, for his love endures forever. Give thanks to him who made the heavens so skillfully, for his love endures forever. Give thanks to him who placed the earth among the waters. His faithful love endures forever. Give thanks to him who made the heavenly lights, for his faithful love endures forever. The sun to rule by day, for his faithful love endures forever. And the moon and stars to rule by night, for his faithful love endures forever. Give thanks to him who killed the firstborn of Egypt, for his faithful love 
endures forever. He brought Israel out of Egypt, and his faithful love endures forever. He acted with a strong hand and a powerful arm. His faithful love endures forever. The same way he did all that for Israel and the people of Israel is the same way he cares for us. We are his chosen people. Verse 13, give thanks to him who parted the Red Sea. His faithful love endures forever. He led Israel safely through. His faithful love endures forever. And he hurled Pharaoh and his armies into the Red Sea. His faithful love endures forever. Give thanks to him who led his people through the wilderness, for his faithful love endures forever. Every one of these things, like his strong arm that protects us, he leads us through places where we should never even be. And he destroys our enemies when they come after us because his faithful love endures forever. And even when we're in a wilderness, he's right there with us, leading us through it. Verse 17, give thanks to him who struck down mighty kings. His faithful love endures forever. He killed powerful kings. His faithful love endures forever. Shion, king of the Amorites. His faithful love endures forever. And Og, king of Bashan. His faithful love endures forever. God gave the Lord the land of these kings as an inheritance. His faithful love endures forever. A special possession to his servant Israel. His faithful love endures forever. And remembered us in our weakness. He remembered us in our weakness. Wow. His faithful love endures forever. He saved us from our enemies. His faithful love endures forever. He gives food to every living thing. His faithful love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of heaven. For his faithful love endures forever. God did all of these things for Israel because he chose to. And what he required for Israel is for them to choose to obey him, to show their love in return. And he's still doing the same thing today with every one of us. Let's go to Romans chapter 10. This section is called Salvation is for Everyone in the New Living Translation. Starting in verse 5. For Moses writes that the law's way of making a person right with God requires obedience to all of its commands. But faith's way of getting right with God says, Don't say in your heart who will go up into heaven and bring Christ down to earth. And don't say who will go down to the place of the dead to bring Christ back to life. In fact, it says, the message is very close at hand. It is at your lips and is at your heart. And that message is the very message about faith that we preached. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God. And it is by confessing with your mouth that you are saved. As the scriptures tell us, anyone who trusts in him will never be disgraced. So if we trust in God that he can change our lives, we will not be let down. Verse 12, Jew and Gentile are the same in this respect. They have the same Lord who gives generously to all who call on him. 
For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they have never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? And how will anyone go and tell them without being sent? That is why the scriptures say, How beautiful are the feet of the messengers who bring good news. But not everyone welcomes the good news. For Isaiah the prophet said, Lord, who has believed our message? So faith comes from hearing, that is, hearing the good news about Christ. But I ask, have the people of Israel actually heard the message? Yes, they have. The message has gone out through all the earth and the words to all the world. But I ask, did the people of Israel really understand? Yes, they did. And even in the time of Moses, God said, I will rouse your jealousy through people who are not even a nation. I will provoke your anger through the foolish Gentiles. And later Isaiah spoke boldly for God, saying, I was found by people who were not even looking for me. I showed myself to those who were not asking for me. But regarding Israel, God said, All day long I opened my arms to them, but they were disobedient and rebellious. So that is the only thing that can really hinder your walk with God, is disobedience and rebellion. That's how we choose life over death, by choosing to be obedient to God's commands and obeying what he tells us to do. So let's go to 1 John. I'm going to start in chapter 4, verse 4, but I'm going to continue all the way through chapter 5. But you belong to God, my dear children. You have already won a victory over those people because the spirit who lives in you is greater than the spirit that lives in the world. Those people belong to this world, so they speak from the world's viewpoint, and the world listens to them. But we belong to God, and those who know God listen to us. If they do not belong to God, they do not listen to us. That is how we know if someone has the spirit of truth or the spirit of deception. So, the spirit in us is greater than the spirit in the world. The spirit that we have to live lives of love is, is more powerful than the spirit that causes people to sin. So it should be easy for a Christian to live in love and not live in sin. So continue in verse 7. Dear friends, let us continue to love one another, for love comes from God. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God. But anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. To take our sins away from us so we don't have to live in that sin. That's powerful. Dear friends, since God loved us so much, we surely ought to love each other. No one has ever seen God 
But if we love each other, God lives in us and his love is brought to full expression in us. And God has given us his spirit as proof that we live in him and he in us. Furthermore, we have seen with our own eyes and now testify that the Father sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. All who confess that Jesus is the Son of God have God living in them, and they live in God. We know how much God loves us, and we have put our trust in his love. God is love, and all who live in love live in God, and God lives in them. And as we live in God, our love grows more perfect. So we will not be afraid on the day of judgment, but we will face him with confidence because we live like Jesus here in this world. Such love has no fear because perfect love expels all fear. If we are afraid, it is for fear of punishment. And this shows that we have not fully experienced his perfect love. We love each other because he first loved us. If someone says, I love God, but hates his Christian brother or sister, that person is a liar. And if we don't love people we can see, how can we love God whom we cannot see? And he has given us this command. Those who love God must also love their Christian brothers and sisters. Everyone who believes that Jesus is Christ has become a child of God, and anyone who loves the Father, loves his children too. We know we love God's children if we love God and obey his commandments. Loving God means keeping his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. For every child of God defeats the evil world. Wow. And we achieve this victory through our faith. Man, this is powerful. And who can win this battle against the world? Only those who believe in Jesus, that he is the Son of God. And Jesus Christ is revealed as God's Son by his baptism in water and by shedding of his blood on the cross. Not by water only, but by water and blood. And the Spirit, who is truth, confirms it with his testimony. Wow, so we have three that bear witness the spirit, the water, and the blood. And all three agree. And in the new, in the uh, King James Version it says, For there are three that bear witness in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost. And these three are one. Since we become, since we believe human testimony, we surely can believe the greater testimony that comes from God. And God has testified about His Son. All who believe and the Son of God know in their hearts that his testimony is true. Those who don't believe this are actually calling God a liar because they don't believe that God has testified about his Son. And this is what God has testified. He has given us eternal life and, his, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have God's Son does not have life. So if we don't choose Jesus, we don't have life. We are full of death. Verse 13, I have written this to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, 
so that you may know you have eternal life. And we are confident that he hears us whenever we ask for anything that pleases him. And since we know he hears us when we make our request, we also know he will give us whatever we ask for. If you see a Christian brother or sister sinning in this way that does not lead to death, you should pray. And God will give that person life. So when we're in Christ, if we find ourselves in sin that may not cause us to die, but it's still sin, we should pray about it and get that out of our life. But there is a sin that leads to death, and I'm not saying that you should pray for those who commit it. All wicked actions are sin, but not every sin leads to death. Wow. So not every sin leads to death, but all sin is a wicked action. And if you let it continue in your life, it will lead to a point of death. So we need to get sin out of our life. We know that God's children do not make the practice of sinning. So if we're God's children, we should not make a practice of sinning. For God's son holds them securely and the evil one cannot touch them. Wow. We know that we are children of God and that the world around us is under the control of the evil one. And we know that the son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we know the true God. And now we live in fellowship with the true Christ. He is the only true God. And he is eternal life. Dear children, keep away from anything that might take God's place in your heart. So choose to stay away from any type of sin that would take God's place in your heart. Make him number one. And by doing that, you are choosing life over death. So why is this so important? Well, because Jesus is coming back soon. And we need to be a spotless bride that's ready for him when he returns. So let's go to Peter chapter 3. Starting again in verse 1. I should have named this Bible study verse 1. Because almost every chapter we read from came from verse 1. We started right off at the beginning of the chapters. But I also do like to read the entire chapter and not just pull scriptures out. So, But here we go, starting in verse 1. This is the second letter to you, dear friends. And in both of them, I have tried to stimulate your wholesome thinking and refresh your memory. So there's a battle in our minds, and it's important how we think. Sin will win by how we think. I want you to remember what the Holy Prophet said long ago and what our Lord and Savior commanded through your apostles. Most importantly, I want to remind you that in the last day scoffers will come, mocking the truth and following their own desires. They will say, What happened to the promise that Jesus is coming again? For before the time of our ancestors, everything has remained the same since the world was first created. They deliberately forget that God made the heavens by the word of his command. And he brought the earth out of the water and surrounded it with water. Then he used the water to destroy the ancient world with a mighty flood. And by the same word, the present heavens and earth have been stored up for fire. They are being kept for the day of judgment, when ungodly people will be destroyed. 
But you must not forget the one thing, dear friends. A day is like a thousand years unto the Lord, and a thousand years is like a day. The Lord isn't really being slow about his promise as some people think. No, he is being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. Man, that's powerful. So it's not that God's just not doesn't know exactly when he's coming back and he's actually being patient because he wants everyone on earth to be saved. He wants this message to reach everyone on earth. Continuing in verse 10, but the day of the Lord will come unexpectedly as a thief when the heavens will pass away with a terrible noise and the very elements themselves will disappear in fire and the earth and everything on it will be found to deserve judgment. Since everything around us is going to be destroyed like this, what holy and godly lives you should live. Looking forward to the day of God and hurrying it along. On that day, he will set the heavens on fire and the elements will melt away in the flames. But we are looking forward to the new heavens and the new earth he has promised, a world filled with God's righteousness. And so, dear friends, while you are waiting for these things to happen, make every effort to be found living peaceful lives that are pure and blameless in his sight. And remember, the Lord's patience gives people time to be saved. This is what our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you with the wisdom that God gave him, speaking of these things in all of his letters. Some of his commands are hard to understand, and those who are arrogant and unstable have twisted his letters to mean something quite different, just as they do with other parts of the scriptures. And this will result in their destruction. I am writing you ahead of time, dear friends. Be on guard so that you will not be carried away by the errors of these wicked people and lose your own secure footing. Rather, you must grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. All glory to him, both now and forever. Amen. So I hope this Bible study has helped you out. It has showed us that we have a choice between life and death and how important that decision is. It's not... Well, I'm just going to sin a little bit. It's not a big deal. Every sin is a big deal. Every good decision that we make in our life is a big deal. If we witness to somebody about God, that's a big deal. That's planting a seed of salvation that can keep that person from eternal torment. That's important. If someone sees me sinning and they think that that's okay to sin, then I'm helping them destroy their life. And I want to be a person who lives to build people's lives up and make everybody better around me, not destroy them. So let's, let's go to prayer today. Because again, some things only come out through prayer and fasting. So if we acknowledge the sin in our life and we pray and we fast, God will take that sin out of our life. So let's bow our heads and let's close our eyes. Dear Lord Jesus, we thank you for this time here together, Lord, that we can worship you the way you deserve to be worshipped, God, that this will bring light in people's life, that they will see that there is a choice and that they have the power 
through your son Jesus to make the right choice, to choose life in this world and not death. That we don't have to suffer the way people in this world suffer, God. That we can get the confusion that the enemy has put in our mind, that your burden is hard and that living for God is difficult. And we can get that out of our mind and we can see clearly through the Holy Spirit that all things are possible through you, Lord Jesus. That you have the ability to remove sin and to save us eternally. And that we will experience that ability here on earth, God. That we will be able to live sin-free, holy lives, God. That produce fruit that will multiply for life, God. That we will be full of love just like you, God. And that your love will shine through our lives and touch everybody around us, God. For we know that you don't want anyone to perish but that you want everyone to have eternal life. We worship you and we praise you, Lord, for sending your Son and washing away all of our sins, God, and giving us the grace to walk forward in your ways, God. We love you and we praise you, and in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, I hope everybody's enjoyed this, and I can't wait to get into the next Bible study with all of you. So until that time, may God bless you.